Have you ever wondered how to make sense out of your messy life or how to live in peace in the middle of a stressful world? My name is Jamie Norton, and I want to welcome you to the Making Peace and Beyond podcast, where we talk about life struggles and how to live in the peace, joy, and freedom that Christ died to give us. I'm really excited about this podcast. It's our first one. And so my first guest is my friend and a delightful person who is also our children and family pastor at our church and uh, lives life in a real way, uh, Michael Campbell. Hi, Michael. Hi, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to join you in dialogue and get to know uh, some of the things that you're working on. Michael, you recently went through the Making Peace and Beyond weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to uh, hear what you experienced yeah. there. Yeah, and I'd, I would also love to know, like, kind of the you know how you got started, what made you want to get into it. But I remember hearing about making peace and realizing that it would kind of uh, root up some issues that I might have had growing up, or some stuff that I'm currently dealing with. And going through the process, I was like, okay, as soon as I go. We're going to find some root issues within me. And so as soon as the retreat's done, I'm going to be crawling out of there, barely surviving. <laughs> and so those are the expectations I said. I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a broken person after this. Um, but going through it, seeing the the hope, and, and I know we'll discuss it a little bit more, but the hope that comes through that and getting to live with a lens of empathy for myself and towards other people who have shaped and influenced my life. So I'm really grateful for the opportunity that I that I went through that weekend um, and looking forward to seeing how God continues to use that in my life, uh, family, ministry, and so on. So, um, but yeah, how how did making peace originally get started? What made you want to, to start this program? Uh, my life was a mess. I had uh, grown up in... Uh, the South, and I had grown up in the church. My grandfather actually built the church I grew up in. Mm. Um, my maiden name was Howard, and I had a cousin who literally thought the Lord's Prayer when our Father who art in heaven, Howard is our name. We were v- <laughs> very, very attached to the church. But at the same time, my parents were both alcoholics. So mm. Jesus tended to stay in the church and not walk through all parts of our life. Yeah. And my response was confusion. It was chaos. Um, I learned some really good things. My parents loved me. We were mm. privileged. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of of chaos. So and, there was a disconnect between what it looked like at church and what it looked like at home? Exactly. Mm. And, and a lot of unpredictable anger and abuse and uh, pornography and some of the things that uh, just didn't fit. I uh, also grew up in a time of segregation because I'm old, and <laughs> it was it was uh, really chaotic. But I, at one point, um, lost confidence in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved Jesus as a little girl, but at, I prayed and prayed and prayed that my family would be fixed, and it wasn't. And so ended up just very... Uh, deciding that either God was powerless, he was not there, or he just didn't love me. But I started making some really bad choices in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me about 20 years to get back. I I had a really crazy life, ended up married to a, a, a psychiatrist and working in mental health as a counselor. And... Um, and it was the craziest time of my entire life, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know. So uh, I was just hopeless. I didn't know there was a way back. I thought I had already failed Jesus, and I mm. thought I had 
I couldn't go to mental health because we were at mental health. And so it was just this yeah. stuckness. And God intervened and uh, sent me to, uh, gave me a job as a, an alcoholism counselor, which I thought okay. at first was pretty hilarious. <laughs> and it was, um, but I went to the first program where we were looking at the impact of growing up in a chaotic or mm. dysfunctional, unpredictable family and the survival roles that come out of that. Yeah. And, um, and it changed everything. It changed my perspective. I could understand why things had happened the way they had mm-hmm. and um, actually came back just on fire to tell other people because we weren't talking yeah. about that. And uh, started doing workshops and um, it was asked by the State Baptist Convention as a, in, a, in a crazy sort of thing of event to um, to really do the weekends in the church. And yeah. so... In 1980s, it came into the church, and uh, and has just grown as for 40 years almost. Yeah. The the uh, in six different states with hundreds of people involved in the administration of it, and thousands having gone through it. Um, it's just gotten to here, and mm. it's just God did it, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it it's very much about looking at how our life has been shaped. Mm by our early experiences, by the beliefs we've learned that may or may not be real. My parents couldn't love me well, and even though they taught me some really wonderful things, they couldn't teach me how to live in a way that Mm -hmm. was honoring God. And I just very much... um, Wanted other people to know, and so it just started out because I was lonely and I wanted mm. company. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean, yeah. and uh, and so the whole thing is has has just continued, and now it's really exciting because it's getting beyond me. We've changed yeah. it from making peace to making peace and beyond, yeah. mm-hmm. because uh, it, it's now on video. Uh, we have yeah. I wrote the workbook that follow up. It's a ten week follow up. Um, and we we're on Instagram. We're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we're doing uh, TikTok, yep. which I didn't even know what TikTok <laughs> was. I had no idea yeah, what a platform yeah. was. Now we have one, making yep. peace and beyond dot com. Um, so it's uh, we're making reels and yeah. And I I think the beyond part is appropriate because when I was going through it, again. Before, you know, you have these preconceived notions, these expectations like, okay, so I know I'm going to get hurt because it's going to be uprooted, all this different traumatic stuff that you see or don't see. And um, and then I'm going to be fixed. And like you realize that the the point of making... <laughs> Sorry, Michael. I know, I am not fixed. That's the point, right? Like it's not just seeing your issues. It's okay. And it's not, okay, at the end of the retreat, you're going to be fixed and done and you're really going to know how to handle life. But it's, no, okay, seeing with a lens of empathy your your parents and guardians, grandparents, the people who have affected your life, um, and being able to understand, understand where you came from, how you are the way you are, um, understanding and forgiving that, knowing that as a child you are never the victim, and then going forward, how do you continue to wrestle with these things that have been uncovered? And so when you when we say making peace and beyond, I think that's extremely appropriate because it's not a one-time fix, but like ultimately not, not only who do you find your hope in, but how do you process this information 
um, going forward day after day after day in your future relationships, which I think will continue to help me and many others going through the process. Yeah, we have a, a saying that it, it doesn't matter if St. Peter hits you with the car, you're still dead. <laughs> yeah. It isn't about parent bashing or... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is about seeing that you were born into a middle of a story that was already going on, and mm-hmm. so were your parents, and so were their parents. Right. And, you know, there's a, a certain amount of a legacy that goes on for generations and becomes your normal, and you don't know that your normal is abnormal. Exactly. And, but normal adjustment to abnormalcy creates abnormalcy. And I talk about mm-hmm. sometimes how if you. If you grow up in Germany, you learn German. You can't yeah. learn another language growing up in a German-speaking family. And in a dysfunctional or chaotic family, the language we learn is the language of survival. It's yeah. control, fight, run. Mm-hmm. We, we develop a way of uh, a, a personality that we think is going to keep the peace that doesn't exist or that is going to keep us safe or that is going to help us to be accepted by other people. Um, And so we start to live out this this person that we make up, that we create, not the person that God created. And the unfortunate thing is that that person is empty because it's our creation, it's not God's creation. And God Mm doesn't love our creation. He loves his creation. Mm. You know, yeah. so and that person hurts others. Like if you were not properly healed or have a lens of chaos and um maybe just a certain behavior that is not healthy, um, even though you might not realize it, you are affecting the current relationships you have with either your children, uh, your your spouse, coworkers, people, and you're just naturally doing this stuff because that becomes your language. Uh, so who would you say um, with making peace is somebody who should go through making peace? I know my answer, <laughs> but like, what would you say if somebody's like, oh, okay, this sounds kind of interesting, uh, but I don't know if it's for me. Who Who is that that person? I don't know that person that isn't qualified. <laughs> qualified. Right? Yeah. I mean, life hurts. Life is filled with pain and, and mm-hmm. suffering. Life is is unpredictable in and of itself. We live in a very dysfunctional culture. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people have, even if you grew up in the, in the Brady Bunch family, you also yeah. have, you may have been bullied at school. You've had yeah. failed relationships. We all have things that we're self-conscious of or ashamed of. And the whole issue of shame is what separates us from each other. It's the Mm -hmm. thing that happened in the garden that Adam and Eve covered themselves about. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to be seen, the parts of ourselves that we don't want to be seen. Um, Mm. And so I don't know of anybody who has got none of those. Sometimes I'll do a class and I'll ask up front, is, you know, think of something that you wouldn't want to share in front of this class. And I ask, is there anybody in here who doesn't have one of those? And nobody ever raises <laughs> yep. their hand. There's yeah. always something that we have that we want to withhold from others. Yeah. And and there's a hole in the relationship with others when we do that. I mm. mean, it's like a piece of Swiss cheese. We may be really good in some parts of it, but there's a lot of holes in the That's relationship right. with the secrets we keep. And we're mm-hmm. as sick as the secrets we keep. Yeah. So you... You look at at people coming into uh, making pieces. Interesting. Then I'll ask them to get up and share it in front of the class. Yeah, and you That's get this yep. this very nervous giggle. <laughs> yep. It happens. It's yep, like we all did it. they're yep. not going to do that. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's like we think that if somebody really knew us, they wouldn't 
let us stay or they wouldn't love us. Exactly. And yet as a counselor for the last 43 years, I have never, ever met a person who did not want to be loved. Mm-hmm. I have met most people who do not, who are afraid to be known. Yeah. And you cannot be truly loved until you're truly known. Amen. Yep. And so it's a real dilemma and a double bind. I think that was probably the scariest part is like that introduction of, you know, we're going around and saying, okay, now share that. And I was reading from Pete Scazzaro in one of his books, and he was talking about the difference between um, vulnerability and transparency. And I think in that kind of environment, we can kind of welcome transparency because we're being relatively honest, but still holding some cards to our chest. Um, But vulnerability is like giving somebody the sword. And it's saying, okay, you can use what I'm saying against me by having that sword, but you can also use it to help protect and fight with me in this process. And so what I saw from that was, wow, there's this is an opportunity to be vulnerable and there's gonna be embarrassment there. And I think you said it best, like embarrassment is revealed shame. And so trying to uncover some parts of our life that are shameful and s- some of it is our own doing, and you know whether that's um, our old habits or sin within us, or but some of it's also because of how our parents treated us, or how our our pastor treated us, or our friends, our boss, um, and stuff might seem subtle, but ultimately, I I really think that different levels of trauma, like each person is affected by trauma differently, whether that was, you know, what we might see as a horrific event or something that might not be on the outside. The trauma is still really deep for for those people. And so I think when you open up saying, oh, we're gonna be vulnerable and we're gonna be here for each other. This isn't just you walking through it alone. Um, again, that's, that's why I really support the end beyond portion of making peace because this is not, hey, you're fixed, we found it, here you go. And so you've established and created a program over 40 years of working through this and being able to hone in on some issues that people have. Um, we've seen countless evidence of the fruit of this as well. It's, it's very uh, interesting to watch people take that risk because <laughs> yeah. one of the real blocks to becoming vulnerable or to becoming honest about your history um, or even your present, is it feels like you're betraying people. One of the double binds that people are in is that so much of what happens to us was caused by people outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, if you're a child, you, you can't just say to a parent, you know, you're, you're not doing a very good job. I mean, you're really being abusive. You're not available to me. Um, you don't hear me. You don't see me. We all yeah. want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we need to be the twinkle in somebody's eye. And if I'm not getting that, and I say to my parent at four years old, you know, I'm going to pack my suitcase and move down to the Joneses because yep. you're not very good at this, yeah. then I get into some real trouble. Mm. And so I learned that I can't say the truth. And, you know, it's interesting because we killed Jesus because he brought truth in the world. Yeah. I mean, truth has never been very popular. Mm. But the, the the problem is I can't heal until I am in the truth because yeah. God cannot heal a lie. And mm. so uh, I'm stuck in somebody else's lie. I can't heal that part yeah. of me 
that is wounded by that. Yeah. And so it becomes a very hard thing. I, mm-hmm. I think for the first few years that I started talking, saying my parents had an alcohol issue was really, really scary, and I felt bad. I thought I was betraying them. Yeah. And and it was interesting because before my father died, um, he said, "I want to do what you do." Mm. You know, and and it was it was really an affirmation that. It was something that that really needed to happen, you know. And yeah. people ask me today if you hear my daughter speak. My daughter speaks a lot, and she'll talk about, you know, the alcohol and the abuse mm-hmm. and the marijuana smoke coming out of the minivan and and you know all the craziness yeah. that was in my life. And people ask me sometimes, "Aren't you embarrassed by that?" Mm. And I'm like, "No, that's yeah. what happened. We know, believe, and yeah. trust the healing power of Jesus Christ. Yeah. We don't walk in guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. He went to a lot of trouble to set us free from guilt right. and shame, and we're not going to walk in it." And I said, "But I will tell you <laughs> yeah. that even though it is not fun to hear those stories, yeah. I'm not proud of those stories." Mm-hmm. But what I am so very proud of is that my daughter can get up in front of people and tell her truth. Yeah. That she doesn't have to hide her story, that she doesn't have to to do the things that we had to do early on. Yeah. You know, because she has a right to her story and her legacy. And yeah. and and she has changed that. Mm-hmm. And we have changed that. And so I can't be any prouder of her for doing that. Yeah. I think we all, and she's an amazing woman, an amazing woman who's been a great mentor for thousands. Um, I, I know, at least going through it, I've seen, and I've said this myself legitimately, is I, I will not forgive until this person does this. And it's something that I, I genuinely think we all struggle with. It's like, okay, I, I'll go through a healing process and you think you might be okay, but like there's really no reconciliation or, or forgiveness necessarily until that person comes to you or changes their behavior, until they repent, until mm-hmm. it's always this until they, until, until they. And what you helped me realize is when people do that, they are controlling your emotions saying, okay, I can't do something until you do this. You are essentially saying that they are your God and there is only one God. And so having the freedom of within your own heart saying, how do I genuinely forgive them and taking ownership of of our own 50% of that relationship? Because that's all we can ever do. We can't do 51, we can't do 49. Acknowledging, okay, I'll own my 50% and understand that they don't have any power over me. And I can't assume that they will change their behavior or act a certain way or ask for forgiveness. It's, it's been freeing for me, and I think it could be freeing for many others to realize that when we put the power in the wrong hands, it'll eventually betray us. And having that expectation for them, oh, man, you said another thing. And <laughs> like <laughs> expectation is, oh, what was it? Premeditated resentment. That's right. <laughs> Expectation is premeditated resentment. And that just blew me away because I'm like, wow, I have so many different expectations of other people to act a certain way. And when they don't, I'm like frustrated or like I start getting resentful. But then even with ourselves, like, do we have these expectations for ourselves, these imaginary co-illusions where, okay, I need to be that person. And when we don't meet that 
then we are resentful with ourselves as well. Why can't I do better? Why can't I do this? And it's, again, it's putting us on a pedestal we've never deserved to be on. And so again, this is just another example of how beneficial this program has been and how God is continuing to use you in this process. It's been it's been very humbling to to just really see the fruit of it. You know, it, it's you know the whole idea of of expecting other people to know the. It, it's about control. You know, the whole thing is really a, a, about trying to live into the survival fantasy that I created that will make my world work. Yes, and yeah. so I'm the main actor, and you've got a minor role in my play, and That's you're right. supposed to know your script that makes my play work. Mm-hmm. And when you don't know your script, then I get to fire you, and now we've become a whole cancel culture, so we yeah. can't disagree with anybody's survival stuff. And so I, you know, and even in mm-hmm. myself, I beat myself up because I don't live into my own survival fantasy mm-hmm. of who I think I should be. Yeah, and it just is. It, it it causes so much trouble to to that illusion of control, which we have none of. I yeah. tell people, if you want to see how much control you truly have, hold your breath for two minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. yep. <laughs> you know, you yep. the very thing that gives us life, we can't control yeah. for two minutes, mm-hmm. and we certainly can't control other people's behavior. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you get out of that if how do you acknowledge you have this imaginary self and those expectations? Um, that'd be the first part of the question. Like, how do you acknowledge that you you have these illusions? But then, how do you repair and like reconcile those with the other party who may or may not be involved? I think the first thing is to look at your to be willing to look in your own mirror mm-hmm. to really be willing to say, you know, to, to pay attention to your thought life. Yeah. Yeah. Really pay attention to uh, the thoughts we have, uh, the thoughts we have, and the things we do in private, the same things we do in public. You know, is there an integration? Integration just means integrity, just means integration. You know, it's the integration of all parts of your life so that you're you wherever you are. And I don't know that we can do that until we know who we are and whose we are. I mean, when we know that we are the beloved children of Christ, that we are already secure. Mm. We are already valuable and significant. We already have an identity. Yeah. You know, we already have meaning and purpose. And our job is to distribute the fruit of the Spirit in the world that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so I have to pay attention to, am I doing that? Am I doing that to get recognition? Am I doing that because I love people? Yeah. Can I see other people as as also children of God? And and, and how they are. And I think for me, one of the things that has been helpful is to really see the brokenness in myself, yeah. but realize that that's human brokenness, that my parents also had it. My father's father died when he was 12. My mother's mother died when she was in college. She had hmm. to drop out. It was during the Depression. They both lived through the Depression when both families lost everything. And it was very... Uh, to really get the human beingness of my parent helps yeah. me to not judge them as mm-hmm. different from myself, to really own my own failures, yeah. my own stuff, and not blame other people for it, you know, but to to also have compassion for their struggle and and to really, you know, allow myself to see them as like myself. Mm. As human beings in need of of compassion, as human beings in need of healing, in need of Christ, yeah. you know, and 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 to not 
hold that. Unforgiveness, and, and I think we'll probably do a whole podcast on this down the road, but yeah. unforgiveness is the biggest block to our healing. Yeah. You know, because it yep. keeps us attached to the negative stuff in our life. Yes. Yeah. Somebody once told me that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And it's really hard. I think the self-awareness that you're talking about and what your own identity is, is really one of the root issues in all of our circumstances, like how we see ourselves and how we think other people and what pedestal do we put us on. Um, But being self-aware and knowing whose we are is super important. Like another quote that I heard was, um, to put your hope in anything other than the saving work of God, then and Jesus Christ and like his saving work is an exercise in futility that will eventually betray us. And so if we find our identity as a good father or mother or a worker, boss, um, pastor, if we find that as our identity, it's eventually going to betray us. And so we need to like take a step back and like, ultimately, if all of that fails, whose am I? And that's that's our creator. That's our father who who listens and cares and helps us become more like his son. Um, and that's the hope that I think that making peace and beyond really tries to focus that, hey, you, you're gonna try to fill that uh, that hole of brokenness and crisis and trauma with everything, every sort of vice you can, until you realize that there is a God-sized hole and none of this stuff is gonna fill it except for a relationship with God himself. And that's a painful process at times, but he's like a surgeon who who's slowly piercing us and like healing us. It's not because like if you and I are sick and doctor's like, hey, we you, you guys have cancer. Uh, we need to take it out. If we understand what our, our sin is or understand that brokenness, we'll start to really appreciate what the doctor's work is. And so in the same thing with our hurt and our trauma, if we understand that that God wants to heal us ultimately and will eventually do so, we'll be more willing to be like, okay, this painful time is setting up something that is for my good. Does it mean it's good in the process? No, like that's what the Bible says. It's like all things work together for good, not all things are good and acknowledging that, right? Yeah, some of the, one of the things that, has somebody said once is that the most painful experience in our life can be the foundation for the best version of ourself. Hmm. And yeah. my aunt used to say, God must have a big job for you because he sure is giving you a rough training program. <laughs> and, right? yeah. and at the time, I, I don't know that I understood it, but now I understand it because yeah. God has used every wrong thing I ever did and every painful experience I ever had hmm in the work that I'm doing now. Yeah. And uh, it's not like you think I would like to go back through that training program again because it was really yeah. hard. Yeah. But but I see the benefit of it now and I wouldn't trade my life today. Yeah. You know, f- for any of that. I think mo- most people believe in God. Most people it's a lot of people love God, but the hardest part of being a Christian and really surrendering to God is to really know and trust that God loves you. Yeah. That God loves me. He wants me. He's waiting for me. He's not going to leave me. He's not, he's going to mm-hmm. he knows me and he and he loves me. There's a story that Brendan Manning tells in one of mm. his books about 
a man who goes to the beach with his grandfather, and his grandfather all of a sudden just starts dancing around on the beach, and he says, what are you doing? In the, and his grandfather says, Miaba loves me, Miaba loves me. <laughs> yeah. And I think that when we know Miaba loves me, my father loves yeah. me, then, then we can dance around on the beach. Yeah. You know, somebody said that joy is the assurance, uh, joy is the experience mm-hmm. of God smiling at us with a twinkle in his eye. God loves us. He smiles at us with a twinkle in his eye, and he delights in us. And I think yes. that that is, that is where we need to land. Yeah. And when we land there, we do want to tell everybody mm. else. We do want you to have the, the gift of that. Yeah. So somebody could be like, listen, Jamie, this, this sounds good, but I'm in crisis right now. My family is falling apart. This person hurt me right here. This and it's legitimate stuff. Like let's let's say they are a, a party that's relatively innocent in this, and they're just like life circumstances are. You're at your wit's end. You're broken. What? How would you encourage them to like take that next step out of that? I think. It, I think first we have to understand and be there to have strong shoulders and boxes of Kleenex and let people <laughs> cry and grieve. Yeah. God gave us the process of grieving hmm. so that we could integrate loss and adapt to change. It's a process. We don't want to medicate it, mm-hmm. which is another whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but to, to really be there, to yeah. know that you're not alone. So I think that being alone in your grief mm-hmm. and in your pain is, is so difficult. Yeah. I do think that there is a point where we all have to go to sort of our Garden of Gethsemane where we are alone in our moment of most need and our darkest night yeah. because we need to be able to get to that point of thy mm. will not mine be done. That's right. <laughs> you know, we need to go there and surrender mm. to to the truth of the experience. But I think that to have each other to hold us, you know, to yeah. know that you're not alone. That's one of the things I hear a lot in making peace is that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, I know I'm not alone. I thought I was the only one. It's yeah. interesting how prideful that actually is. You know, <laughs> I get only, billions yeah. of people in the yeah. world. We are limited human beings. Yeah. You're not the only one. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know? said it in the class. You're like isolation is the enemy of recovery. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. We we are not designed to do life by ourselves. Mm-hmm. There is no one man army that survives. Yeah. You know, it, it's we need each other, and that's yeah. what's so scary. Because if your childhood needs were not met, one of the big mm-hmm. survival false beliefs that we develop is we don't need anybody. Yeah. And I and yes, we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes, you do. You yeah. didn't make your own clothes properly. Yeah. You didn't grow your own food properly. You mm-hmm. just paid. So we put money between us and other people, but you yeah. still needed them. Yeah. And and it's mm-hmm. it's like that. But so I think mm-hmm. the first order of business as we come alongside each other is to acknowledge the pain. Yeah, you know, to have compassion for that person and not try to. To, to get them out of it, yeah. but let them be in it. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be in it. It's okay to cry. It's okay yeah. to hurt. You know, I mean, you cannot cry yourself to death, it turns out. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> right. mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's, but then to, to, to say, what is the opportunity here? Yeah. I mean, what is it that this, what are you going to learn from this? What can you do about this? Uh, to, you know, whether it's forgive somebody, whether it's, um, Whatever, whatever the, the the lesson is, because as I mean, 
there's always an opportunity. I think God hmm. God uses all things, and I can learn from all things. Yeah. And life is just one big learning experience. You know, we tend yeah. to get stuck in things, and we hmm. have a mental health system that helps us with that. Yeah. But, it, you know, you're not like in a box. I mean, life is always evolving. We know that the brain is always evolving. We can learn new behaviors. We can change behaviors. We can yeah. change legacies. I mean, we're pretty cool creation, limited creation, right. but we're pretty cool creation. That's right, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think a lot of it hinges on like how we see the character of God. And so unfortunately, there's been times where we will resent God because of how we think he acts. But, you know, maybe that's based off of like what our own, you know, parents and like based off of how they were acting to us, we think that God responds in the same way. But that's not who God is. He, he's the loving, compassionate, gracious God who, who cares for the littlest things in our life. And so whenever we go through the trials, we, ha- we have to understand, at least hear me, I think this is what you're saying, like God uses these not to pay us back, but to bring us back ultimately mm-hmm. to him because there's, there's stuff that happens that's really unfortunate and sad this side of heaven, but ultimately it's producing something, um, a weight of glory to eventually be revealed in the end. Easier said than done. Um, what kind of faith do we have in those seasons? Maybe we think we have a really strong faith and then we get into a season of hardship and we're like, oh, wow, my faith was a house of cards, C.S. Lewis would say. And he's like, I thought it was strong until it got knocked down. It was God who knew that my faith was a house of cards. It wasn't me. So how we see our relationship with God in these trials, I think is really important to discover um, how to discover that. Um, how, how would you say that? Like if somebody was going through that, how would they discover the next step for that? I think, I think so many times we, especially in early Christian faith, we we think if I become a Christian, life is going to be pink, fluff, cotton candy. Yeah. Yeah. There yep. is that. And and then when pain and suffering continues, yeah. I mean, sometimes people say, since I became a Christian, my whole life fell fell apart. And I'm yeah. like, aren't you glad you became a Christian before your whole <laughs> life fell apart? You know, I mean, yeah. it's like you, f- yeah. you, you really look at the blessing and mm. and I see life as kind of an Easter egg hunt. You know, you, yeah. God goes before us. If I mm. cut my leg, I do not know about the cut until after the cut. Mm. I become aware of truth. I don't create truth. Oof. I become aware of it. Yeah. And and so, you know, he goes before us. And so he we, we he knows the experiences that we're getting ready to get into, yeah. and he's already left provision there. Mm. I mean, I'm old now, so I look back and I can see God's provision in the worst moments. Somehow I got here. Yeah. You know, I don't know how I got here. I don't even mm-hmm. know why I'm still alive. But I, I know now that I can trust God's provision in all situations. Mm. He will give me what I need when I need it yeah. to get through the next step. Mm. And that's all He gives us. He doesn't give yeah. us the thing for next week. You know, yeah. so when we run off into our imagination, we're not going to see how it's going to work. Yeah. But He He does, and I think He. We're funny creatures. When we need God the most, we tend to fire Him, and when we need each other the most, we tend to isolate. You know, we do exactly the opposite of what would help. Yeah, yeah. Tim Keller once said, and not quoting something like this, um, he's like, "If we knew as much as God knew, we would choose the same plan and course of action as as He would have picked, because He He ultimately does have a vision of 
what his creation will look like and if we knew as much as he did, but we always like to jump in there like, God, I know a better way to do this. Like, couldn't we have avoided this to get to that goal? And I think that's a very, you know, finite, limited, emotional way to look at it. Whereas like, okay, God, who is outside of all of that, how, how do we trust his sovereignty and his, again, back to his love for what he created? It wasn't just good. He created every, everything and it was good. But when he created us, it was very good. So God intentionally, deeply cares about his children. And so if we know that as a loving father, that'll give us a lot more hope in, in the timing of things, right? I think so. It's, 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 it's really, um, I think when life hurts, we, we tend to question, but that question is because it's not going according to our yes. plan. Yep. It's, it goes back to the issue of control, mm. you know, of my own expectations, my own understandings. Mm. And when I was 10, my grandmother wrote into my Bible, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. And and. I wish I'd listened because, yeah. you know, my own understanding took me way out of where I needed to be. It's so yeah. limited. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that trusting God in those moments is such a testimony to who He is. And mm-hmm. as a counselor, I walk through a lot of painful things with people, including death, including death of loved ones, including yeah. just, you know, abuse, all kinds of things. And and, and sometimes a person will come through and they're walking through their difficult time with such grace hmm. and such trust yeah. that I just want to be what they are. Yeah. I want to have what they have. It's yeah. like you are such a an amazing witness. And it's not because they don't grieve or get scared or, I mean, because we're mm-hmm. human. And when we face our own mortality or the mortality of those we love. I mean, we're going to grieve. It's going to hurt. Yeah. But they do it with still a, an underlying confidence that God loves them yeah. and he is going to be with them through it. Mm. Yeah. And it's 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 a beautiful thing. I remember mm. one guy that I was working with and he was he was uh he was an alcoholic and he was a physician his wife his wife said you know I, and he had terminal cancer and his wife said i can i can deal with your cancer but i can't deal with your drinking so you know we're going to have to change that behavior yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know so i walked with him through that whole process mm. and he he got sober he got really involved in yeah. in his faith and and he was just i mean he wrote a a, a book of of bedtime stories for his grandchildren because he wasn't going to be here. Mm. He wrote letters to his children. He wrote a legacy statement. He he was just and, and and finally he came in on a on a walker one day and he said this will be my last visit. I came mm. but I wanted to say goodbye in person. You know yeah. I wanted to and we both cried yeah. and but he kept emailing me and the last email I got from him said I'm holding close to the one who's holding close to me and mm. it's okay. Yeah. And and I thought that's beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's beautiful to be able to have that kind of faith as you go through that mm. kind of time. Yeah. He finished well. He, he finished, finished well. And yeah. I think for me because I'm my, I'm a short timer now. I think, <laughs> you know, I want to finish well. Yeah. I I want to finish well. Mm-hmm. I want to hear Christ say, "The job well done, my good and faithful servant." Yeah. Yeah. And I really believe to that point like 
unfortunately, it took him that long in life to get to that point. And so I believe that, again, the benefit of going through Making Peace and Beyond is, again, as a parent, I have three sons myself. I want to make sure that I create and cultivate an environment where we are transparent, vulnerable. I can protect them. I can shepherd them well and dialogue with them in these seasons, repenting when necessary. Because like, I know there's stuff that they may see and I don't see that will perhaps eventually like really affect them. And and so a constant uh, asking for forgiveness for my own children. Um, and so I would encourage, I mean, as a family pastor, like how, how do we continue to do this in um, our families saying, okay, we're going through making peace. We realize the, the junk that we have in our lives. How do I shape that in my children? And potentially avoid some really traumatic things that will eventually happen when they're, you know, teens, 20s, 30s, 70s. Um, and so I think having an early start and the benefit of making peace and beyond can do, it can save families and it can save souls ultimately because people see what we should put our hope in. So I've, I've found, again, incredible benefit. And I would recommend that to, to everybody to go through this. I'm so delighted to know mm. you, so delighted to be with mm. you. And this has been fun. <laughs> it has, it has. And, and I know we can talk for hours about this because of the great content and the uh, great relationship that we have. And so, again, always grateful to, to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. Thank you so much for joining Michael and I today on our first podcast for Making Peace and Beyond. We'd love to have you visit our website at makingpeaceandbeyond.com or check us out on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook under Making Peace and Beyond. I hope you have a blessed day.